0: You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month at patreon.com forward slash Podcast, where you'll get access to our special bonus content like our whole church news segment where we cover current events in the church around the globe today.
1: Ephesians 5, 15 through 20 from the NASB says, So then, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, in which there is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to our God and Father, and subject yourselves to one another in the fear of Christ. Pastor Mike Moffat, St. Paul here talks about wisdom, drunkenness, time management, and singing together, that ends with this command to submit to each other. Are these ideas of time management, avoiding alcohol and foolishness, and worshiping all important to the idea of submission and unity together?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, how we manage our time, how we conduct ourselves in, you know, the thing, the idea of avoiding debauchery, which is a great word, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Debauchery sounds like a, a negative form of botchery. And I don't know if, I don't know if botchery is a thing, but, uh, but the opposite of it is to debauch. Um, so to avoid debauchery, foolishness, that's all relational, right? So mm-hmm. when I, when I want to live a Christlike life with my neighbor, then what I do even in private ultimately will impact the way I relate to my neighbor. So, uh, yeah, Paul and, and Jesus, and really the entire, I think the entire narrative of scripture, uh, forces us out of any kind of individualism and right, right into communal thinking. Uh, it's very challenging, uh, for the introverts in the world, like myself, you know, it's like, Oh, I got to Everything I do impacts someone else and they impact me. Um, and I think too, in a, you know, I I don't want to be all, Trophy about the western culture but you know we got a pretty marlboro, marlboro man sort of you know rugged individualism going on in, in the west not just in america but in the west in general so it definitely uh, challenges that mentality as well mm. okay. yeah
0: hey everybody welcome to the whole church podcast i am one of your co-hosts joshua knoll i come here to to announce to you guys um well, a couple people, we have a really special guest today, but also y- you may have heard Elvis, the King of Rock, or Michael Jackson, King of Pop. Well, today I have the one and only, my co-host is the King of Podcast, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very yeah. much.
1: <laughs>
0: and uh, joined with us today is Pastor Mike Moffitt of, is it University Place Presbyterian Church? That's Am I? the one. Yeah, okay. UPPC. Yes, yes, and uh, we're really excited to talk to him today about his church, about his story and his life, all that kind of stuff, and uh, yeah.
1: yeah. If you if you enjoy the show, please hop on Facebook. Uh, if you don't have Facebook, I completely understand, neither do I, but you can talk to us and other fans of the show on our Facebook group. Uh, it's just called The Whole Church Group. You can find it. The link is in the show notes. If you don't want to open the app and search that way, we'd love to see you over there. And by we, I mean Josh.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, Pastor Mike, I I actually have a favorite form of unity. I'm, I'm excited to share with you today. Okay, and, yeah. Um, our audience is aware of this. Uh, my my favorite form of unity is actually silliness. So we start our show off with a silly question. I love it. Um, TJ and I are going to answer first. Um, today's is pretty simple. What is your second favorite green colored food? Mm-hmm. I was going to say just greens, but then I, you know I was like you know if you want to say avocado or you know something like that, kiwi. Sure, why not? Right? Um, I forgot what I was going to say for this because I forgot it was second favorite. So I was about to tell you guys my favorite, but I can't do that. That's not that's not the question. I'm gonna go kiwi. Actually, kiwis are pretty good. I like Your kiwi second
1: dog. favorite green food is a kiwi. Yeah, I've never seen you eat a kiwi.
2: <laughs> How many <laughs> been green each other for food food
1: 14 years? <laughs> Fine, green beans.
0: That's <laughs> my second <laughs> favorite green food. Okay, that sounds better.
1: So, do watermelon, does watermelon count? It's green on the outside. Well, that's a good I
0: couldn't experience. decide. I really couldn't decide if it counts or not. I was going to let you decide.
1: If I eat the rind, I'm going to count it, and that would make my second favorite green-colored food,
0: Honeydew. Oh, man. Fair.
1: You know, I think it counts
0: just specifically because, actually, no, I was going to say most of the time when you get watermelon candy, it's green, but it's not. It's that pink color.
2: It's like pink, yeah. Mm-hmm. Those gumballs are green, what if,
1: what if watermelon doesn't count? Uh, then it's like a, a nice, really crisp, iceberg lettuce. Mm. All right. That's fair. Pastor Mike,
0: what is your second favorite green colored uh, food?
2: Yeah, you know, the, I don't love broccoli, but something magical happens when you when you steam it or, or something, right, where it turns from t- disgusting to pretty good. So that's my that's my first one. It's like a superfood. And so that makes my second favorite. It's got to be green peppers because I think green peppers have a little bit of attitude. You know, mm. green bell peppers, like, they, you know, mm. they're like, am I spicy? You don't know. You're going to have to check it out, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah, right. I, like I had a really, really, really sweet food. one the other
1: day, actually.
2: Oh, did you? Mm. Okay. Like,
1: well, like weirdly sweet. Really it was sweet. delicious. Yeah,
2: sometimes kind of bitter, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I like green peppers, yeah.
0: Well, if we're doing our first ones as well, just so the audience does know, I, I was thinking uh, like pesto pasta, or oh. specifically there's that pizza that I get at Matthew's that use a pesto sauce. It's so good.
2: It's a good call. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All right. So for the actual podcast, for the real show. uh One thing, you know, not to discount our unity session, but- <laughs> uh, we found that you know getting each other's stories is really helpful for church unity. Uh, Pastor Mike, can I call you Pastor Mike? I Yeah, you can. So. Call
2: me, you can uh, just call me Mike. Yeah. Just call me Mike. That'd be great. All right. You have a, a
1: really unique and interesting story. Uh, you've lived in Belfast. You did graduate work in Canada. Associate pastorism. Uh, would would you mind sharing a general overview of your story with our audience?
2: Yeah, I love that question because I'm always like, "Hmm, it all started in 1976." <laughs> like uh, four hours later. Um, no, so of course oh, I, I, I'd love to. Uh, I'd love to share a basic overview, especially in terms of how it led to pastoral ministry, too. Right. Um, so I was raised uh, in Colorado until I was 10 and moved up to the Northwest. I'm in Tacoma, Washington now, a university mm-hmm. place is the specific town. And uh, even at that time, we sort of got back involved in church. And uh, when I was 11, I had a kind of a powerful moment with, with God uh, about forgiveness. I remember watching a sermon with my mom. And so the, the Lord started working on me there, but my passion was in music and theater. So I got involved, especially in high school, in, in uh, both of those, really, and I'm kind of an intense personality, so I got really uh, intensely involved in theater, especially. I went off to SMU in Dallas, Texas for university, where I earned my Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in acting. And so that was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then the Lord was like, or, or not or not that and there's a, there's a longer story and how that all felt, but that's the, that's the short version. So senior year of college, I really had this major transition into, I think I'm going to, I'm going to explore whatever ministry is going to be for me. I don't know what it will be. And so one way to do that was I took a gap year back home and then I, I applied to be a full-time volunteer. There was programs in the States and there was programs overseas. And the one that really lit, lit up my Christmas tree was, um, The one in belfast northern ireland so i lived right in west belfast right in the thick of it uh right on a peace line if you know what that is between a catholic and protestant community uh speaking of unity or its opposite right so the way that the culture of belfast and northern ireland historically has been so disunified uh it was fascinating so uh living there was a way for me to immerse myself in ministry without having to have any credentials because i was a volunteer right so i didn't have to have uh, any kind of degrees or whatever and I could sort of test the waters, and and what I came away with was was basically, yeah, this is a great fit. I, this is life giving. I'm I'm using my giftings, and this is good. So off to seminary I went in uh, at Regent College in Vancouver at the at UBC, gorgeous place, Canada. Yeah, and um, yeah, some of the big names, right? For Eugene Peterson taught there for a while, and then Gordon Fee and some other sort of people in the academic world have really uh, been, been impactful at Regent, so four years there. And actually uh, started my career for 12 years. I was a school chaplain at a pre-K through 12 school hmm. here at Tacoma. So that was a really fun way to be very much in the world. It's not a religious school at all. And so yeah, I was able to be a pastor without being in a church kind of. And so that was really mm-hmm. cool. And then about five years ago, uh, there was an opening to, for me to move into a pastoral role. So I've actually only been a full-time pastor, even with all the volunteer time and seminary and all the rest of it. Uh, I've only been a full-time pastor now for about five and a half years. So wow. yeah, so that's the, that's the biggest overview that leads me to where I am today.
0: Yeah. Uh, just out of curiosity, do you think your Original degree and kind of like theater related stuff. Does that help you with your ministry at all? Do you think?
2: Yeah, and, and in some ways it does explicitly in terms of uh, being able to tell stories or communicate well. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think implicitly in terms of the kind of personality who enjoys communicating to people on mass. You know, uh, in fact, yeah. quick anecdote is a uh, senior year of college, I was in a classics class, so Shakespeare type stuff. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> uh, a friend of mine and I asked our professor, we said, "Hey." When an actor is is doing Shakespeare, what is the number one, what's the top priority? What should they be focused on most? And without hesitation, uh, Michael Connolly was the uh, professor's name. He said, the number one thing is communication. If you aren't communicating, then none of the other cool bells and whistles, sword fights and costumes and music, none of that matters, right? And so I think that the kind of personality who feels comfortable and natural and, and, and energized by communicating en masse it's clearly a good personality fit for the kind of role that you have when you're either preaching or doing a podcast or any other kind of mass communication. Yeah.
0: One more and I'll let us get back on track. Yeah. You mentioned before we recorded that you were an introvert, which I also yeah. consider myself an introvert and I find it weird about myself, but do you ever get questions about how you are able to do public speaking or pastoring or anything like that while also being an introvert? <laughs>
2: Yeah. Uh, people are usually surprised and that makes sense because in a room with 300 people and you, it looks like you're interacting with 300 people. But uh, my theory is that when I'm, uh, well, first of all, one-on-one or one-on-two, those are small interactions. That, those don't de-energize me uh, uh, as an introvert. Um, what, uh, but neither do the big, the big rooms because if you mm-hmm. think about it, when you're delivering, let's say, a sermon, uh, it's really a one-on-one conversation because the people on mass effectively make one audience they make one set of one giant set of ears yeah. now i'm sensitive to the reality that everybody's going to be hearing it differently they're all coming with different stuff i get it but you know what for me the the hardest part of a sunday and i'll say this I, i'll tell the whole congregation this cuz it's not about them the most challenging part is after the service in the common areas like the lobby the cafe <laughs> that's to me i'm able to do it and i'm not it doesn't uh, uh intimidate me but i find myself really uh, tired at the end of the handshaking and Hey, what was your name? Okay, cool. It's your third Sunday. That's great. Yeah. So I understand you are in this Bible study. That's cool too. Hey, I'll help us see you next Sunday. That energy is really wonderful, but also I kind of come to my office afterwards and kind of, Oh, I collapse in the chair and be like, whoo yeah. Recharge yeah. with 10 minutes of quiet now, so. Yeah.
0: So I feel that I'm exactly the same. So yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you say about your current church? You mentioned it a few times, what is unique about the church you attend now?
2: Yeah, I love that question. Thank you for that. Um, I what what one of the things I'm most excited about about this church right now, the congregation and the leadership too, is we are we have been trying to blaze a trail for becoming what we call a third way church. It's a, f- a phrase coined that we learned from Jerry Sitzer in his book Re- The Resil- uh, Resilient Faith, um, mm-hmm. where the church is. Called to, it's very much in the world, but not of it, right? So, called right. not to be uh, either camouflaged within the culture so much it can't be distinguished. But on the other hand, it's also not called to be sectarian and set aside in such a dramatic way that it's so distinguishable it becomes irrelevant, right? And yeah. so, in, in terms of the Bible, you go, it, it, we're not supposed to look just like Rome. But we're also not supposed to look like Pharisees either, right? Somewhere in between those two extremes, the church is called into a third way of being. So that's something that we are right now not only initiating and trying to do all the time, but I think actually doing to some extent. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. that. That makes our congregation pretty unique, I think, right now.
0: Yeah, and that uh, reminds me of a lot of what uh, St. August. Augustine, I always say, want to say it wrong, but Saint Augustine and um, even Billy Graham said, uh, you know, Billy Graham, whenever he was he was doing a lot with the starting the evangelical movement back up, sort of in America. It was a lot of this one group is trying to deny culture altogether. This other one's just going with everything it says. But we don't think that either of those are okay. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I actually have a theory too that maybe that's what Jesus meant by the narrow way. And, and I know that that's like, I'm stepping on holy territory in terms of people's understanding of salvation. I get that. but uh, So I'm not saying this is the case, but I wonder sometimes if, if Christ died for the whole world, John 3, 16, then the gate to salvation, maybe it's not that narrow. Maybe that's not the narrow way because it's supposedly for the whole world, right? But maybe the narrow way is the way of that third way. So it's very hard to... It's like, imagine yourself on a tightrope, right? Mm-hmm. Leaning one way or the other tends I, I, it's very easy to become indistinguishable from culture. It's very easy to become utterly distinguishable from culture. It's very hard to stay on the narrow pathway of, I am distinct like Christ, but also utterly involved like Christ. And that that I think might be, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's maybe the narrow way he was referring to. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. It's interesting how much, Jesus does that in his own ministry. You know, he uses all the parables with culture of the time. Like he clearly understood it was a part of it. Went out fishing, went out to parties with tax collectors, that kind of stuff. But also was very, you know, unique in his own time. Condemned the super religious people who cut themselves off. and Also condemned the culture of the time. He managed to do all of it.
1: And we're supposed to be like him somehow.
2: Yeah, somehow somehow. we we call him the master for a reason, right? Yeah.
1: So... Another thing we like to do every so often is uh, our speed round segment. Yeah. We like to help our audience get you know a little glimpse of our, our guests' beliefs. Uh, so we're just going to ask you a few questions. And the only rule, well, there are two, but the only rule for you okay. is that you answer the question in one sentence or less.
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. You think you can do it? I think so. Uh, are compound sentences allowed? Like, can I use Absolutely. semicolons?
1: Okay. Okay absolutely we we started this with ephesians 5 15 through 20 20 is like 60 words so perfect all right so i'm ready what is the significance of baptism
2: the significance of baptism is it's its role as a sign and seal of god's grace and initiative to save people from sin and death and his willingness to wash us clean of of sin, uh, and our response to his initiative by way of saying yes to that grace. Well done. <laughs> Does your church practice baby baptism? Yes, we do, but we comma but we don't insist on infant baptism, uh, and and we don't cut people off from baptism at any age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is the significance of the Eucharist? like baptism the eucharist is a response of obedience to the command of jesus our lord to do something tangible to remember and represent some uh, an intangible spiritual reality comma in this case our incorporation into the body of christ through the mystery of the elements and into the body of christ as the church Uh, What do you believe about biblical inerrancy? I believe the Bible is 100% trustworthy, comma, um, uh, described by me with the word infallible. So without any falseness, but I can't quite get on board with 100% inerrant as in having zero errors of any kind. Um, So that's one sentence. Oh, that's so hard to keep it to one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are, these are difficult ones. It's all right. <laughs> what authority do you believe church tradition has? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, church tradition has a secondary authority under the authority of scripture inspired by the real presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, do you believe yeah. in the continuation of the gifts of the spirit? I do. Does your church practice speaking in tongues? Uh, as a culture, the chur- this congregation does not have a habit or a history of speaking in tongues. But uh, but there is no theological uh, opposition to uh, the, the uh, to the experience of or the idea even of speaking in tongues as a as a possible expression of the Holy Spirit. What do you believe about predestination? Uh, I believe that an omniscient God can and does know all things at all times. and that is sometimes described as predestination comma, but uh, that does not entitle human beings who are incapable of that omniscience to uh, feel that we know all things at all times. And so comma. And so we must operate hu- with humility in the knowledge in the, uh, and, and acknowledge that we do not know, What will happen, for whom, when, or how?
1: Uh, Do you believe in a pre-, mid-, or post-tribulation reading of Revelation? Jeez, I don't know. That's my answer. (laughs) That's fair. That's what I would say. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Uh, How many, if any, of the seven sacraments does your church practice? Yeah, we practice two of the seven sacraments in line with uh, the Reformation and those two being baptism and the Eucharist or communion. All right. Uh Uh, Matrimony? Uh, is
1: that a follow up question? No. It's over. That was the last question. I'm Shoot. allowed. <laughs> yeah, you're
2: allowed. He's, okay.
0: he's not allowed follow up questions, but now that it's over, he wants to know whether yeah. or not your church
2: practices marriage. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's just it's, not a sacrament. We yeah. practice marriage, of course. Yeah, it's just not seen as sacramental. So, so, okay. yeah. same, same as ordination, right? So here I'm an ordained pastor, but my ordination is not a sacrament either. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: All
2: right. That's something well, I feel really, like
0: we don't talk enough about that there's a difference of considering it a sacrament and yeah. practicing it at all.
2: Oh, absolutely. Huge, huge difference. The same thing with confession um, or even even last rites or other other of the seven sacraments that the Catholics practice is like, well, we we do those things. I go to people's deathbeds and things like that. But but the reformers said, uh, what makes something a sacrament is being explicitly commanded by Jesus. And that's where they landed on on two instead of seven. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This was educational. Something that I feel like we've passed over for our audience that they needed to know. And now they know We finally got there.
2: Well, yeah. hey, on the record, I cannot speak for all Presbyterians, right? So I was like, that, the the speed round is awesome, by the way. I love that idea. <laughs> I, I might steal that for Bible jazz. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, but, uh, you know, but I, yeah, I, I, on records do not speak for all Presbyterians by any stretch of the imagination. So, so let
0: that Well, be that nice. said, your church is part of the Presbyterian Church yeah. uh, USA, PCUSA, yeah. Yeah. um and many people see that as the more lib- the larger, more liberal Presbyterian group compared to the PCA, yep. um, which you know got that reputation concerning some of the beliefs of same-sex marriage and abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, they think that abortion can be morally permissible in certain situations, and. They leave the choice of same sex marriage, if I understand right, they leave the choice of same sex marriage up to individual congregations. So, yeah. Where does your church stand on those two issues?
2: Well, the, 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 I'm glad you brought it up because uh, PCSA is actually really, really broad in terms of its, its we'll, we'll use the terms conservative and liberal, you know, continuum. Yeah.
0: For uh, lack of better terms, yeah
2: yeah for lack of better terms we'll find new terms someday uh so really 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 broad and so but it does have a reputation uh, in terms of like like news media national media uh for being on the liberal side. I think it is you know i mean the p c u uh, s a will ordain women uh, to ministry, but mm-hmm. the pCA won't that's one of the one of the more well known ones and then yeah, it was only about about eight years ago, maybe eight or nine years ago that the that the uh, general assembly approved the idea that uh, a congregation could call a pastor who's who is homosexual and or in a same-sex marriage, um, but that that would be left up to the congregations to be able to make that decision. So that was actually a pretty recent deal. So again, that when that makes national news, it's like, well, if liberal means more free... As in, more has more room for, then yeah, PCUSA would be the more, by far and away, the more, more liberal type of Presbyterianism. In terms of our congregation, uh, and this isn't really, I don't mean to sound like I'm sidestepping like an expert politician, <laughs> but, but this is actually where we go right back to that third way. So we adamantly avoid stances on almost everything except for the essential tenets of our faith, because the minute we take a stance, we, we, um, we disavow someone's real experience uh, and and put them into a category that's outside of our stance, and uh, that's challenging, right? Because stances are comfortable, and we want to have a stance on everything. But but we actually really uh, adamantly avoid stances again on anything except our ten essential tenets, so that we can engage people um, in the moment uh, and use our best uh, use use our do our best to discern wisely what what God is doing in their life at any given time. Mm.
0: So hypothetically, in your congregation, you could have both someone who had an abortion and someone who thinks it's always terrible and someone who's in a same-sex marriage and someone who thinks that's completely heretical to the Bible even.
2: That's exactly right. Yeah. In fact, I, I recently met a visitor who who right away, she, she volunteered to me that she was uh, gay. And uh, and as we talked, I thought, you know, I'm just going to do this right now so that she doesn't I don't string her along for six months. I said, hey, you're going to get a lot of support here. You're going to get a lot of love. People are going to be very neighborly to you. Uh, and so forth, but you, you're going to also probably run into some folks who look at you twice and wonder what you're doing here. And, and are you okay with that? Cause this church, this church is going to have to be comfortable living in that messiness. And she was actually not only okay with it, she was actually thrilled with it. And I thought that really spoke of her maturity wow. and her willingness to step in and go, look, my way is not the only way, you know? And, uh, I was like, dang, all right, so let's move forward. And she's amazing. She actually, that woman actually prayed over me a few weeks ago, brought me to tears. It was, it was remarkable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
0: Do you mind if I ask what your personal stance on it, or can you just not give that because of how your church does a third way thing?
2: Uh, you know, no, I think I can talk about it theologically uh, when it comes to w- which one. Both. I'm just... <laughs> well, when it comes to sexuality, uh, sexuality is broken, and uh, that includes heterosexuality, right? So, I'm um, I, I, looking into this. I, I, I looked at. I, I went straight to Jesus' teaching on marriage when the Saddu- Sadducees tried to nail him on the resurrection and mm-hmm. say, hey, who's who's this guy going to be married to in the resurrection if he's been married to seven different women because of, uh, you know, or wh- is it the man or the woman? Anyway, somebody's been married a bunch of times. Who are they going to be married to in the resurrection? And Jesus' answer was, you're asking the wrong question. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, so I, I don't, that, that's actually part of the reason why I think it's important to remember in our tradition that marriage isn't a sacrament because, uh, not because it isn't sacred, but because something about, our ultimate destination in the resurrection doesn't seem at least to Jesus, like it's going to involve anything to do with marriage as we understand it. So to that end, I am not opposed to, to uh, I'm open-minded to people who are, uh, on the sexual continuum somewhere. And, uh, certainly if people are in a covenant marriage, uh, I start always with respect for the the fact that they were willing to enter a covenant. And then after that, I just, it really does come down to the people for me, uh, when it comes to sexuality, um, and sexual identity, which are two different things, um, always, always, the one thing, and this is an essential tenet, the one thing I, I don't, um, the one stance I do take is, are you, in, are you living your life in submission to the best of your ability to Jesus Christ and letting Jesus uh, by way of the Holy Spirit uh, sanctify you to, to the degree to which you should be pretty uncomfortable from time to time because that's what's happening to <laughs> yeah. me and that's what's happening to all the heterosexuals I know too. Cisgendered heterosexuals are also made to be uncomfortable in the process of sanctification. So is that happening for you, including in your identity and your sexuality? And if it isn't, then my job as your pastor is to try to coach you into a process where it is because just being gay doesn't therefore make it okay. Just like just being straight doesn't therefore make that okay either. Um, so something about us and our sinfulness transcends our sexuality and our sexual identity. And therefore it, all of it has to be made subject to the Lordship of Christ and his sanctification. So that's really usually where I go with that. Uh, and, yeah, and I find that it's been fruitful in the sense that people, uh, who are in the LGBTQ community will, uh, I think we will we'll give me a little more time and trust when, when they understand that I'm not going to shut them down, but, I, but I'm also not going to let them off the hook when it comes to being discipled.
0: Yeah, that's uh, Gregory Cole. We've had him on the show before, and he comes down on the more conservative end of things, but that's sort of his stance of, yeah, we're meant to be uncomfortable. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, and then in terms of abortion, you know, I, I uh, theologically, bottom line is God uh, is the author of life, not death. God yeah. wants life and not death. And biblically speaking, life is good and death is bad. Period. Yeah. Um. So, what does that mean for abortion? It means abortion's bad on, on principle. right? It's just it is. It's tragic. It's bad. It's never something to strive for or celebrate. So, I guess uh, when when I when I hear about um, people celebrating the idea, um, that's where I'm like, ooh, that that's something. I guess if I had to use the word stance, I'd say sure, I could take a stance against the celebration uh, of of. Of the idea of abortion but um because we live in a broken world with real lives and real stories same thing as what we you know without reiterating the whole thing i just said is uh i will never ever uh be cl- uh, closed off to the the notion of uh, somebody by the way not just fe- women but the men who are involved in in, in that whole yeah. nexus of relationships too and the trauma that people face when they are anywhere from considering it all the way through having Gone through with it. That's that experience is something that I personally can't relate to, and so I enter into those relationships as empathetically as I can, ready to listen and understand, and then walk with them again toward Jesus as best I can. So that does that. Yeah, yeah. And we we've
0: recently did an episode about abortion, and uh, I think it's something a lot of people forgot based off of some of the messages I got about for that episode is uh, sometimes abortion ends in more life than what would have happened otherwise. You know. It just depends on that circumstance.
2: Yeah. um, Yeah.
1: Great question. So you have your own show. You mentioned it earlier briefly, uh, Bible Jazz, the Bible Jazz podcast. So what is it about and how did you get started?
2: Well, Bible Jazz is a show, let's see, what's my slogan again? Our conversations at Bible Jazz are always improvised and sometimes unusual, just like jazz. Uh, long and short of <laughs> it is, I actually, um, when I was a chaplain at that school, I started a podcast way back in 2007 when it was actually only on iPods, hence the name podcast. There were no smartphones. Smartphones were just coming out. Uh, so I started one there and then that, that was fun. I did a few episodes and then I started another one a few years later. Uh, also at the school with another teacher, and then we did a couple seasons, and that ended. So when I came here, we had we had a Q and A session uh, at one of our worship services, and we ran out of time for the for the A, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so we said, hey, you know what? We're gonna sit down, record the answers to the rest of your questions, uh, and then it'll be like a one time deal. Go online, <laughs> click play, listen to our answers, and that's it. And we found that it was fun and easy. And again, this is now being my third time. So I thought, you know, let's let's do this more. So it kind of caught on with me and a couple other folks on staff. One thing led to another, um, and then somebody left staff. So it was like, well, we took a hiatus. I said, you know, I'll take it over and keep it going. So I kept it going, and then finally rebranded it as Bible Jazz, and then with the help of a service called Podmatch, um, managed to be connected to more and more people. So really now for about a year, I've been able to have guests on from all over the country, sometimes internationally. And that has really blown, it hasn't blown it up in terms of its exposure or its listenership, but I think its energy has just gone through the roof and it's a lot, a lot of fun. So on Bible jazz, usually I just let the topic be guided by my guest, Um, but always stay anchored in the idea that, uh, that the Bible informs our life and faith. And then any topic we talk about all the way from like this week, this episode that just dropped is on news media and ethics and how to consume the news as a Christian, uh, all the way through addiction, all the way through education. And we talk about a lot of stuff on Bible Jazz.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a fun
2: time. Yeah. I love um, it. Yeah.
1: So you, you normally come across very naturally and very genuine on your show, but does your acting degree help in any <laughs> way with your podcast performances?
2: Uh probably, although I will say I gotta get some feedback from you guys since you've listened to a show or two. you know, I always I've actually asked people this on Sundays as well, like, hey, if I ever get into like game show host mode, just come up <laughs> to me and slap my wrist, you know, cause I really don't I don't want to ever be uh, come across as disingenuous, but but the 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 reality is, um, and I don't know, I sometimes I stumble on words like I am right now, a little bit, but I'm just really comfortable talking. I'm a na- natural talker. Mm-hmm. And, um, I'm, I'm trying to be better at listening. So when I'm a guest on a show like this, I'm like, am I talking too much? But I'm like, I'm the guest. I'm supposed to talk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> when, when, I'm hosting the, yeah when I'm hosting the show, I have to kind of bite my tongue because I like to process out loud so, yeah. so much uh, and go like, no, people who clicked on this, it's because of the guest. <laughs> they already know me. They, they want to hear this guest. So, so I'll say that, um, no, I, I find that, that, um, uh, processing things through talking it over, especially in one-on-ones. Or one on 2s like this um, are really natural. So I think the naturalness in is, is actually quite genuine. Uh, and then I'm trying to get better at, at uh, prompting people with good questions and then closing my mouth <laughs> and listening. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: that's how. Yeah. That's what I'm here on the show for. I'm here to stop Josh from. Mm-hmm. This is and true. Whatever this he is wants. Completely
0: true. That's great. Yeah, because yeah. I yeah, and I, I have found, which is funny, I do not have an acting degree or anything at all, but I, I definitely start the show in game host mode and <laughs> and switch out pretty. Pretty quickly. I feel like some, sometimes somewhere in the middle of the silly question, I feel like I switch to the normal person mode. I just need to start <laughs> as game host or I, I don't get past that like initial awkwardness I have with people.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's something too about the role, right? So whether it's the host of a podcast or the pastor of a church, sometimes the role itself automatically makes you not really real. So mm-hmm. I've actually said, I've told people in the church before, like, Hey, you know, they'll say, Hey, can you pray for me? I'll be like, yes, I can. But also, you see Joe over there. Joe's a real person, and so to have Joe pray for you is much more powerful in the priesthood of believers because y'all know that I'm here mm. by commission to pray for you. It's not, it's not that my prayer doesn't count, but it also means I'm here commissioned to do it. Joe, Joe's just Joe, so when Joe prays for you, there's something special about about that, you know. So it is almost like an automatic. Uh, there's an automatic uh, potential to become artificial in some roles that I think we have to kind of work against. Pastors do it all the time, try to work against that. Yeah. 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 So by that degree,
1: you know, we're here all the time. You can hear what we have to say at any point, Uh, walk to your nearest downtown and listen to whoever's talking. Somebody's probably out there yelling about something. Listen to him.
2: (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Whatever he's saying, it's
1: coming from the heart.
2: Yeah, that's That's
1: true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So where should people go to hear Bible jazz?
2: Oh yeah, well, you know, I think that most the major podcast podcast platforms that I that I know of, it's on all four. So Google Podcast and Stitcher are really good for Android device users, and you know, I know they're in the minority, but I, I have empathy. I have empathy. Uh, you know, in terms of Apple, Apple Podcasts, right? It's on everybody's device, so that's it's on there every every time a new episode drops, and then Spotify. Spotify is a, a yeah. really popular one as well. Okay. Otherwise, if you're really old school and you love to sit at your desk, you can always find me at uh, uppc.org, uh, where the new episodes are right there on the on the website.
0: Yeah. I always think it's funny when people actually go to... We have a website, technically, but it's literally just a list of all of our episodes. That's right. And I always think it's really funny because the, the only other thing on there is if you scroll to the bottom, you can see our little bios. Yeah. And the way I know someone's seen it is I just get texts every now and then that's just, man tj's hilarious <laughs> i'm like yeah yeah he is <laughs> and if you want to know why uh, go to that website find out
2: <laughs> that's so funny it's so funny guys like i think i'm i think i'm probably significantly older than you guys because for me the idea of a website like a web page becoming a little old-fashioned you know what i'm saying like right. it feels like oh geez yeah i mean everybody has a web page so yeah you can go to the web page but really it's in your pocket on your device like that's kind of It's isn't it funny to me that websites feel a little bit old fashioned? Yeah,
1: Yeah. I actually I just turned (laughs) forty (laughs) eight.
2: Okay, I stand corrected. You're older than me.
0: no, I. It is still weird to me though, because I feel like I like I grew up in it being a really big thing that I could get a phone at all, and then now it's like everything on this one little device. Like I just grew up at such an odd time with technology, the way it came up. Dude,
1: I I was in like the transition period of my life when technology was in its transition period. That's
0: <laughs> it was yeah. so weird. That is <laughs> very, very odd experience.
1: <laughs> like I, I, in a couple of years, I grew a foot and everybody's phone started talking to him. <laughs> <them.
2: laughs> <laughs> that's True. perfect. I love
0: it. I just think it's wild that people are, I have Google homes everywhere because I, mm-hmm. I got a bunch for free. So I got like the little Google home minis and it just wild to me that there are kids that are growing up, just completely used to being able to be like, Hey Siri, what's the weather? <laughs> I'm like, man, right. y'all, we had to turn on the channel when I was a kid.
2: <laughs> do you think that like after the Gutenberg press was invented, people sat around being like, golly man, I remember it's so crazy. That everybody has a book. That's so weird. I uh, like to read
1: to learn things. They don't want to travel at all. What do you mean? You got your own Bible. You can afford your own <laughs> Bible.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right, Mr. Richie Rich over here with his own Bible. Were you, a priest?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, wow. so that being said, uh, one thing we like to do near the end of our show, we always like to ask our guests for just a single, tangible, something practical that our listeners can do that would help maintain unity in the church. So what's Ooh. something practical that your everyday Joe sitting in the pew could stop this podcast and do that would help maintain unity?
2: Lots of Joes today. Lots of everyday Joes. Yeah,
0: shout out to Joe Day, a host of Buddy Walk for Jesus,
2: good friend of the show. Y'all should check that out. That's right, Joe. We're talking about you. Yeah, <laughs> what man. Can, what can <laughs> Joe Day do? All right, Joe, yeah. listening? Uh, hey, man. Well, I think probably, I mean, visiting a, other churches is probably a big one. Um, yeah. You know, and, and obviously, well, not obviously, but getting outside your tradition too, right? So if you're a Pentecostal, get yourself to a Catholic church, right? If you're Episcopalian, find yourself in a, you know, in a, a sort of a, a progressive Methodist church, you know, and see what's going on. And, and I definitely, um, now that I work in a church, I don't get to do that as much, but the times I have I'm almost always humbled, usually also end up being quite grateful for what I do experience in my, in my familiar tradition, but, mm-hmm. but pretty humbled as well. I'm like, these people love Jesus. There's no doubt about that. Right. And so that's always encouraging. So visiting other churches would probably be the first thing that comes to mind
0: and do yeah. it more than once. I, uh, yeah. I, I visited a Catholic church, once like early college, and I'm like, oh, man, churches with liturgies, they're just dry. You know, I grew up Pentecostal. and I'm like, Yeah, they don't have the spirit at all. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to go to a Lutheran church that has this liturgy. And I'm like, man, it's just so sweet. And you can feel the spirit of people who are like, yeah, we're connected to other people saying the exact same thing at a church in yeah. the next city. And I'm like, oh, no, there's a richness to this. Just visit more than once.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. One time might not. Yeah, maybe they're not on their game that day. It's okay. Yeah, you can visit yeah. a few times. Yeah. Yeah. If <laughs> you I watched can. my
0: Florida State last week, you would not feel the same way as I do watching them all season. <laughs> that's right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> so what what do you think we would see change in the whole church, uh if I, everyone just visited some other churches?
2: Well, human beings are tribal by nature, right? And uh and yet every tribe, tongue, and nation will one day, you know. Bow a knee to Christ. So I think that what we will see and do see is that uh, when we we, uh, challenge our natural inclination to hunker down with our tribe, we find people who become more empathetic, but in the best possible way, right? So not just lip service, not just, you know... Not just a coffee mug that says, be kind, right? But like real, <laughs> true human kindness. Um, so I think we'd see more empathy and compassion in the best possible way. And especially as a church, we will see that empathy and compassion, not for its own sake, but as an expression of the glory of God. And I think that that is probably one of the American church's greatest challenges right now, is how do we show empathy and compassion in a way that's different, that's distinct from the uh, compassion of the secular world, which can have a lot of compassion. Mm -hmm. um, And and ultimately our compassion is meant to point people towards, towards Jesus. um, And uh, whereas uh, secular compassion is meant to point people towards themselves. And which is unfortunately why that leads ultimately nowhere. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I think that um, that's what, what we'll see is, is people more organically, Uh, enacting a compassion and a grace towards other people that uh, hopefully over time, like mustard seed really, really starts to make a difference.
0: Yeah. That's a beautiful picture of what we can hope for. But also I want to say it's kind of a challenge, right? I mean, uh, Jesus said that you would know his church by how we love one another. And the fact that that vision is something that I don't think you could see right now. That's a challenge. Yeah,
2: indeed. You know, and ultimately I think when Jesus is the center So how do you say this without sounding trite? It's like, we've all said it a (laughs) hundred times, but, but when Jesus is the center, then whatever your quote unquote stance is, it, it, when it takes second fiddle to Christ, it's not that hard to link arms with people in Christ. You know, I, that's why, uh, like when you read from, was it Ephesians you read from? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, that's why it's so powerful to this day because it actually ultimately does come down to Jesus Christ our Lord, and and we can link arms with people we would never in a million years have dreamed of linking arms with when Jesus is the Lord. But anything else as the Lord, it doesn't work. Um, I think ultimately the movie uh, 1986 uh, masterpiece called The Mission is a good example of that, where two men who are utterly different from each other end up in the same brotherhood because they both made vows to, to serve Jesus Christ.
1: Praise God. So
2: the last thing we like
1: to do on the show before we get into our outro is called the God Moment segment. If it's your first time with us... Thanks for listening. Hope you're enjoying it, uh, Mike. We just like to take a minute to share what all God's been up to with us recently by sharing a blessing, challenge, moment of worship, whatever it may be uh, that you know God has been in recently in our lives. And I always make Josh go first just to give us plenty of time. That's right. <laughs> much,
0: much to our friend Dino and many others' chagrin, uh, m- my God, moment's going to be a football analogy. <laughs> I am a huge Florida State Seminoles football fan. And this year, last year, we started 0-4. This year, we started 4-0. and 0. And this fifth game came, and I used to always, for years, even when we had bad seasons, if we're third quarter down, four touchdowns or something, I'm like, oh, we could still come back. We could still come back. Man, we were down three touchdowns at halftime, and I had given up hope. I was like, you know, I'm just gonna start doing my homework and I was frustrated. I was angry and I don't usually get angry at football. I, I was legitimately just angry. Like, man, we're doing so good and now it's just all done. The whole season's over and I just <laughs> felt defeated and it was just stupid. But that's how I felt. We still ended up losing, by, by the way. But in that second half, they started coming back. These college kids who are younger than me, supposedly more immature than me, didn't give up hope. They almost won that thing. And I was like, dang. I lost that. I lost that thing, but I I had given up hope. I felt defeated over something I'm not even attached to. And uh, that's kind of a challenge for me. So there we go.
1: Yeah. That's the great thing about college sports. Pros don't try that hard. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) true. true. They're going to make money either way. Yeah, that's a good
1: point. So I think my God moment is, uh, I don't know if it's a a moment of worship. No, it's not a moment of worship. I don't know if it's a blessing or uh, a call for prayer, but uh, I'm transferring stores. I'm still working at Chipotle. At least I will be transferring stores once we're done recording, and I text my general manager back that I want to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a good thing. Hopefully, yeah, praise God. We'll, we'll find out. I've worked like sixty-four hours the past five days at the other at the new store, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. We I mean, will. At least be getting paid. I will yeah. be getting paid, and hopefully a raise. So, yeah. Pastor Mike, Do you uh, have a God moment. Well. For
2: I could go sports too and say the Seattle Mariners are going to the playoffs for the first time in a generation. So that's, uh, I nice. think a lot, of, a lot of Seattleites are like, was that God? I don't know, <laughs> but we're excited for this weekend. Uh, for me, I, I can, the first thing that came to mind was that we had 10 women from our church go on a women's, uh, women's retreat just last weekend. And I've been uh, praying, hoping, wondering uh, how uh, this kind of retreat could happen. And uh, the reason it's a God moment is because ultimately I had nothing to do with it. Um, but the Holy spirit finally got into the hearts of of some, some women. They put it together. They went down uh, to Oregon. They had uh, a life-changing experience, came back absolutely on fire. You can't stop talking about it. And so as a pastor, it's just such a a wonderful wave to be riding, to be like, you know what? Pastor, not pastor, this is God working. And it's so fun to watch. Uh, and it's so fun to just be able to walk alongside these these women uh, as they are experiencing the Holy Spirit, and I just get to applaud them and celebrate that, and, and, and see what else God God's up to. So that's that's the most recent one that came to mind for me.
1: That's awesome. I love to hear that. Uh, yeah. Do you, you don't keep up with hockey much at all, do you?
2: Well, we got the Kraken now, right? So inaugural yeah. season last season. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I can only imagine y'all are Hurricanes fans. No, I am. Maybe he- Predators, or not Predators, but uh, the other one, the Panthers. Oh no.
0: No, no, no. no. Uh, football? No, I hockey, went to a hockey. Oh, hockey. hockey. I, I cheer for hurricanes because it makes TJ happy. And as his brother in the Lord, I enjoy him being happy. <laughs> yeah. I rejoice when he rejoices and I weep yeah, when yeah. he weeps.
2: <laughs> right. So I was, I, I'm glad you asked, actually. I got into <laughs> hockey when I was in college. So big Dallas Stars guy. I uh, ended up... Uh, living overseas at Belfast had just started a team in this tiny little league in the UK. Then I ended up living in Canada, right? Obviously Canada yeah, yep. where the Canucks play. And now we have a team here in Seattle. So yeah, no, I, I have a Kraken Jersey, got an Eberly Jersey and I'm nice. ready for the regular season.
1: Yeah. Nice. So you saw Bowie, right? You saw the mascot, Seattle's no. ma- new mascot. That thing is no. ugly. That thing oh, is. No, hideous. I gotta go.
2: I gotta go find
1: it. I haven't seen it yet. Oh man. It's terrible
2: news. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I felt so bad because I didn't watch oh, the game because no. it's preseason, and I just he showed up on my Twitter feed, and I was like, no. Oh
2: my gosh! Look at it right now.
1: But if you oh. enjoyed this episode, uh, thank you. First of all, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You always have that choice. Uh, share it with a cousin. Yeah, Everybody that's preferable. cousins. Yeah. yeah. If not, you send it to one of mine. And yeah, thank yeah, you. For we listening. really like cousins around here. Uh, and if
0: you want to hear more from TJ and myself, well, you know, we, we just like when people share it with their cousins. It, it shows that they prioritize family values, and that's something that I oh, appreciate yeah. as a Disney fan. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear more from TJ and I or more of me talking about Disney, actually, uh, at Systematic Ecology, we talk about all kinds of different fanfares, different you know fandoms that we like and how those themes relate to the themes of the Bible and how sometimes they contrast with the themes of the Bible it's a fun time. So go to SystematicGeekology.org to see that. You hit the host tab. You see TJ and I name there. I'll have all the episodes that we do for that show will be under our names.
1: Mm-hmm. And if you don't really care that much about the nerdy stuff, uh, consider supporting the whole church podcast on Patreon. Uh, and you can check out our too long, didn't listen segment, where if you were too busy to listen to the whole episode, you can just catch the gist of it in about 10 seconds now (laughs) thank you for listening to the whole church podcast we hope you enjoyed the episode next week we'll be interviewing dr richard rains the author of finding washington why america needs to rediscover the virtues of her most essential founding father then we'll be back with our dividing scripture series discussing the character elihu elihu i haven't i haven't (laughs) gone to seminary they didn't teach me how to say that in the book of Job and redactor criticism and then finally at the end of season one francis chan will be joining us
2: Pastor Mike, is it Elihu? Uh, well, I think technically uh, Biblical Hebrew, like Latin, Biblical Hebrew, not not current Hebrew, is technically a dead language. So it, it doesn't ultimately matter. I would probably go with Elihu, though.
0: Elihu. Elihu. Also, does Francis Chan know that he's going to be joining us, <laughs> TJ? Uh,
1: I doubt it. I hope not. Because ah, then oh, you okay. would have been rejected. Man, I hope he figures it out. <laughs> right.
0: Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast. And remember, you can always sponsor the show at patreon.com forward slash the Whole Church Podcast. Coming up next week, we'll be having an interview with Dr. Richard Rains. Then we will be back with more of our Dividing Scripture series, this time talking about the character of
1: Elihu in Job and biblical redactor criticism.